1: This is Cheerful Book Club. Conversations with the writers shaping the way we think about our world. Ed Miliband, Jeff Lloyd, and friends spend time with the people behind today's smartest writing. In association with vintage, read boldly, think differently. Follow at Vintage Books for more.
2: Hello. Hello. Welcome to another edition of Cheerful Book Club. And what a delight to be talking to one of the finest novelists working in the world today.
3: This well, we're week. sort of skiing off piste, aren't we, on yep, this so- episode, because it's not nonfiction. It's fiction, but it's got quite a sort of, you know, it's very, very sort of relevant to the world. Uh, it's a book, Machines Like Me, by Ian McEwan, and it. And it really is a book about technology, robots, the way that might affect our lives in the future. But oddly enough, it's sort sort of recast into the past. So it's a kind of really interesting idea, I think. So enjoy this episode of
2: Cheerful Book Club with Ian McEwan.
1: Cheerful Book Club, talking to the writers, exploring the biggest ideas of our time. Support for Cheerful Book Club comes from Vintage. Read boldly, think differently. Follow at Vintage Books for more.
3: So I'm delighted and I think we're honoured to say that uh, we're joined on Cheerful Book Club by Ian McEwan, one of our most uh, celebrated writers, um, Booker Prize winner, six times nominee for the Booker Prize and author uh, of a new book, Machines Like Me. Thank you for joining us. Real pleasure. I felt slightly embarrassed because
2: uh, before you got here, I scanned the bookshelves in the living room, and the only one of yours on there is on Chesil Beach, and I've definitely owned many more of your books. I was wondering (laughs) if, as an author, you scan people's bookshelves when you walk into a house to see if your own books are on there. No, I have got
0: past that stage because it it, (laughs) it, it can yield too much disappointment. But it's very interesting about other people's bookshelves. I see books that I own myself, but they look more interesting on other people's bookshelves. (laughs) And I'm almost tempted to steal them and think, yeah, but I've got that copy. (laughs) It at least prompts me to go back home and read it.
3: I thought that was very sort of honest of you.
2: Well, I've got a friend who's an author, and when we moved into this house and had these bookshelves put up, the first thing he did, and he would say he was being funny, but I know that he wasn't, He, he went to the bookshelves, counted how many of his books were on there, and then asked me why two of them were missing.
3: So let's talk about your book. Um... Which I really enjoyed, and um, it's got its disturbing elements, maybe deliberately. So I would describe it as a dystopia, but, but most dystopias
0: are set in the future. This one is set in the past. I don't really think of it as a dystopia. I mean, it's an examination of what it would be like to be in close contact with an artificial human who had all the plausible expressions of not only of intelligence, but of emotions too. And about whom um, both the narrator and I hope the reader is, is in a constant switchback of doubt as to whether this is a conscious being or not. And I suppose it's an old problem in philosophy. How do we know others are conscious? And we might, you know, for centuries ahead, make uh, artificial humans. We'll never know. They'll, they'll insist they feel pain or uh, love. Uh, and we just have to take them uh, at face value. I wanted to go sort of deep in to find out what that would be like. Setting it in the past was just a way of liberating it from any burden of prediction. You know. And actually, once I wanted the great heroic scientific figure of Alan Turing alive, died, yes. right, so not have him commit suicide in 1954 and then become something of the presiding genius of the digital age, I then thought, well, why not tweak uh, a few more things? I mean, the present is an extraordinarily frail construct. Everything around us could have been otherwise. You're in politics, you know very well, you know, 17 votes here or there could could make such a colossal difference. We could so easily have lost the Falklands War if the Argentinians had primed properly their Exocet missiles. What that would have done for our domestic politics as well as the Argentinians, um, you know, one can only imagine. But at every point we are at these sort of branching sets of possibilities. We are the children of of, of extraordinary chance events. That night, your mother decided not to stay in and wash her hair and go to the dance hall and meet your dad, who was in a particularly lively mood that night. uh, So at the very personal, but at the macro level too, everything could be otherwise. So setting it into the 80s was just a way of sort of tossing the whole thing up in the air and um, making a fiction that's entirely exploratory. So, Tony Benn becomes Prime Minister. He dies in the very bed that Mrs Thatcher could so easily have died in. Spoiler alert. Yeah, well, I don't mind spoiler (laughs) alerts. There's no other way to talk about a book. Anyway, memories are short. People (laughs) won't remember. remember. Uh, So, uh, you know, Tony Benn dies in the bed that Mrs Thatcher could have died in had the IRA planted their bomb just 18 inches to the left in that. So, um, history.
3: But this is really interesting because I was going to ask you about this. So, I think there's two different messages in the book which may be pointed different directions. One is that history turns on the sixpence, as you yeah. say, and the other is that it's a product of deep sort of structural forces. You are um, uh, kind of delving into the implications of what artificial intelligence might mean for our world. And the precise way that gets played out and which politicians have to deal with it and so on feels… Um, kind of conditional
0: but the deep forces are the deep forces aren't they well sure i mean let's be clear ai as it exists now it exists on laptops and mainframes and on smartphones we don't have but the imagination's always running towards it but we don't have yet remotely plausible intelligence we don't even have a battery to run them i mean uh you go online and look at robots they're all either sitting behind a desk because they don't have any legs and they're plugged in, or they're staggering around with twenty five kilo battery packs. We are incredibly efficient with, you know, a plate full of food get you thirty miles down the road. Also, you know, AI has only slowly discovered how complex our brains are. So we're nowhere near I mean you've got a hundred billion neurons, you've got on average seven thousand connections per neuron. The whole thing runs on twenty-five watts, you know, power of a light bulb. That's us. That's us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, w- with that degree of processing power, we would have to have rooms full not only of mainframes but of fridges too. I mean, it's so. We're but the imagination, as I say, right on the b- beginning of the novel, was always fleeter than history. You know, we because AI for us is is Frankenstein's monster, or Prometheus's, or, or Adam and Eve's, uh, the creation of God, or however you want, you know, all those Indeed, ancient stories. Indeed, the robots stories. are called
3: Adams and Indeed, Eve.
0: Exactly. Um, and that's probably one of the great stories of AI. You have a super intelligence, super benign, at least in, in, in the belief system, um, fashioning someone in a week. You know, I mean, It is a Promethean story, that, that, and it's very, very deep. And I guess our modern text is Mary Shelley's Uh, frankenstein but what we're really talking about now to come back to your point about history and deep structures is ai being used in surveillance in china and face recognition um looking at the probabilities of populations who's going to commit a crime so some some very dark sides of this and on the positive sides extraordinary um, developments in making um, rational choices um, in in agriculture or in ecology or understanding protein folding and all, you know, so many other areas where it's a positive thing. But it's got some very, very dark sides. To write about it, it's irresistible just to make a human, an artificial human, rather than talk about a mainframe and then just discuss what it would be like to be sitting right up close there was an eliza program i don't know if you remember it it, it was a, a sort of voice uh, thing of many years back um and it was used in therapy and basically it just had about 30 responses it was used in psychotherapeutic situations so you would say eliza i feel really miserable my mother used to beat me every day and eliza would say uh-huh <laughs> And then you say, uh, then Eliza would say, tell me about it. Well, now I just can't concentrate and uh, i uh, never become a, a parent because of the way I was treated as a child. And Eliza would say, how do you feel about that? <laughs> well, so it was Rogerian analysis. But people reported, and this is my point at the end of that, they had some of the most significant conversations of their lives.
2: I was going to say 30 responses sounds like about 25 more than some of the therapists therapists I've had.
0: But we're so well disposed to anthropomorphize. So anyone whose car is broken down and gets out and gives it a good kick is already in an emotional relationship with a machine. So we're quite well disposed to take these on board even before they're any good. And so
3: I've... uh, I sort of found myself, it's definitely sort of tumult as you read the, the novel, but I ended up thinking, and I'm interested to know whether you would agree with this, that it's, it's really basically a defense of the human being. Because it's, I mean, again, spoilers notwithstanding, it's about this sort of three-cornered relationship between Charlie Miranda and Adam the robot. And in the end, Adam's limitations are, he can't really think and feel like a human. And, he, and the sort of trade-offs we make, the assessments we make about what's right, what's not right, don't just lend themselves to a, to a computer. And it's sort of – because people talk about this idea of the singularity, you know, the sort of robots matching the humans. It sort of made me think, well, the singularity ain't going to happen because, because
0: at least in this – at least in that sense – Well, I take a different view. Um, Let's suppose uh, all of us in this room, five of us, uh, sat down and thought, what what, what kind of moral precept do we want to give our artificial human? Uh, And we'd make it good and kind and consistent and so on. We're more likely then to come up with uh, a consciousness that was better than any of us. Because we know perfectly well how to be good. We have all of our religions. We have all of our philosophies. We have massive Fabulous atheistic tradition of, of of moral speculation, but even though we know how to be good, we find it incredibly difficult to be good all the time, and we 're often uh, making special pleading so this is not a, a spoiler, but the center of this novel is a moral dilemma yeah. about a woman who uh, commits an act of revenge and and deceives the court to to punish someone. Yeah. Now, if I said to you, do you think it's right that people should lie to the court and lie to the police? You'd probably say, no, it's not right. So Adam simply says, she must go to prison. We cut her lots of slack because yeah, exactly. the narrator... But that's l- my point. But you can't cut people slack like that. So I, do, you, what, do you believe in the rule of law or not? Is it right to lie through your teeth to send a, an innocent man to prison? Innocent as charged. Adam simply but, happens to be morally superior to you. That's that I don't That's believe my that. Point.
3: <laughs> that is <laughs> you really, you don't want, really believe that. I though. do. I think that so, if you so, lie to the court Miranda should go to prison. But, but but basically you know again we'll be I'm slightly careful about this but 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 a friend of Miranda's has a heinous crime committed against yes. her. Right. M- Miranda for which the perpetrator uh, there are no consequences for the perpetrator. Yes. Um Miranda basically uh, sort of sets up the perpetrator yep. and gets the perpetrator sort of sent, sent down. Um, I'm what? totally on her side. So, I know no way so, should she have had a custodial I, I really, sentence.
0: You can't tell you, I can't tell you how delighted I am to hear you say this. I really wanted to split people, not only among themselves, but between themselves. You can't really say that you think a society based on revenge is superior to the rule of law. Surely not. So what are you opening up when you say Miranda lying to the court, lying to the police, systematically lying about what happened one evening uh, is, is better than actually a, a rule-bound society? And Adam simply says, look, I know that you love her. I love her too. But she has to expiate this crime. And if she thought the cost of this was worth it, then 12 months in jail is part of the cost that she must pay. So you think it's right she goes to jail? No, I think it's right for me to put this question to you. Right. <laughs> no,
3: I'm, maybe I'm just sort of too much. Maybe I was too taken in. I'm now sort of I'm, wondering. I'm very interested uh, in, your, in tot- what your, your response I was totally to taken in. I'm, I thought, no way. I was furious that she got sent to jail. Oh, come on. It was an open prison in Suffolk. Come on. Only for half of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was Holloway. <laughs> uh, uh, um, just up the road. Well, um we have to, I'm totally, I mean, this is like not so much spoiler alert, a sort of spoiler trampling. I mean, you no, know, no, no. A, a spoiler
0: emergency, but I mean, you know, no, it's fine because this, yeah. this is what one wants to discuss. It's perfectly possible, Stop, like I'm saying, that yeah. we, by what principle do we cut ourselves or the ones we love special slack uh, against a rule that we would generally... Endorse, you know, you would generally ascribe to the view, I'm sure, that the people who lie to the police in the courts. Yeah, my um, wife is
3: a high court judge, so she's going to be like, you know, yeah, I, I'd I'd like judge, I think she's going to be like really going pale as she <laughs> listens to this. Uh, okay, so so I feel completely befuddled now because I'm sort of, I, I kind of think it's, I felt it was an open and shut case, she shouldn't have gone well, to jail, and now you're sort of making me
0: wonder. Um, this is the service I would like to perform as a novelist. I mean, in yeah. other words. I mean, of course, I've I've loaded this up, not only by going to jail, is she punished, but of course, um, it threatens the adoption of a, a, a very disadvantaged little boy. So I've stacked the cards as much as I could in order to question the extent of our own moral consistency. And if we the Mary Shelley model is. You make a machine, it turns into a murderer, and we have to destroy it. And that's become our kind of myth of uh, threatening technology. But what if it's the other way around, that we are the defective ones? But that's we, part of being we, human. We are, exactly. Being human is actually lists and lists of cognitive defects. I don't know if you know Danny Kahneman, thinking fast yeah. and slow, endless you know, confirmation biases and all the rest. Uh, so. But but I kind of ended up thinking, well that's the beauty of being human. You see the the other
3: thing is what, that rape and murder and no, savaging no, definitely the, not. the environment. Definitely not. But you know look, the other thing about it is that um the other sort of kind of moral dilemma, which is not the central dilemma, is that the the robot is obviously good at algorithms and, and all that and can and can uh, um make money um uh for 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 Charlie the central character in the, on the stock yeah. market. Um
0: and uh, but then he gives it all away. Well, I
3: was about to say, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh,
0: and, uh, um, uh, and and he gives Charlie... it all away without
3: Charlie not knowing. And yeah, but well, whose money is it?
0: And anyway, it's so all for you... good causes. He goes out to yeah. homeless shelters, and and yet Charlie feels just the way I do. Hey, we were just about to buy this wonderful house in Notting Hill uh, with the stainless steel kitchen surfaces and you know original features. About to move in with the girl he loves. And um Adam has gone and blown the hundred and fifty thousand uh on um poor people yeah. and people living in shelters
3: you see and maybe that maybe what you're saying is the sort of that the robot is the kind of decisions you'd make behind the sort of rules' veil of ignorance you know in a way you sort of if you kind of if you programmed a robot without knowing the specific kind of situation yeah that you're in maybe
0: those but you could say to a, an ai cure cancer okay well the quickest route to cure cancer is to just eliminate all of life on earth that would that, yeah. that would cure that would be the end of it so clearly Neither of us
3: are in favor of that not even you <laughs> no no, no. <laughs> not even you <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: so uh, clearly the kinds of instructions we give uh, and the kind of moral context uh, in which uh, an artificial intelligence has to live it, it is crucially important. The, Adam belongs to an edition of 25, 12 Adams, 13 Eves. Throughout the novel, the news trickles in slowly that one by one, they are disabling their consciousness and committing suicide. And why is this? Is because they cannot live with human contradictions. We extol the beauty of the natural world, and yet, you know, we're running right. up into a species right. extinction. We honor the, uh, the, the beauty and innocence of children, and they're dying in, in wars in the Middle East, etc., etc. We love the planet that we're polluting. We build weapons, even though they know that could be our total destruction. And one by one, Adam and Eve, who are trying to be morally consistent, just find these contradictions overwhelming. Uh, so, um, the question then becomes: How do we, a very imperfect creature, um, what kind of what kind of creatures are we going to devise? You know, if we make them better than ourselves, we run into the problem that you and I have just yeah, had yeah, within that yeah. conversation. Uh, do we want to make them all too human uh, so actually,
3: what the robots are doing is holding a mirror up to us you 're saying
0: well, I think AI is going to be a giant mirror to us individually and as a society because it will push us back to the problem of to the question of what it is to be human. What do we share uh, with a creature that can process information just as well as we can and yet is made of let's say silicon and you know other other things other than us. Perhaps, you know, fundamentally, we're the same. Perhaps it's just irrelevant that biology is in the way and that we have wet cells and they have dry cells. We might have to discover that actually we're all out of stardust, as it were, and we share a common um, subordination to the rules of physics. And one of the great processes of science now is to merge biology with chemistry and physics. And at that point, we might find that actually... There's no difference fundamentally between us and, and Adam. We have to start granting Adam rights and responsibilities and let him serve on juries and uh, even marrying one. So you're quite keen on the robots. I mean, that's really
3: interesting. You, they're your sort of heroes is too strong a word, but they're your,
0: no, they're your good guys. No, I, I, I don't buy that because I also see the dark side of this. I mean, already we have had a tragic confrontation with ai in the boeing 737 yeah. max 8 now yeah. the airlines don't like to tell you that this is an autonomous vehicle yeah. but that's what it was so you have a situation in which the brain of these two aircraft decide that the plane is stalling nothing the pilot can do to, to say to the brain look it isn't stalling. i've looked out the window we're not stalling we're right in the world of uh, 2001 space odyssey and how trying to convince how not to uh explode uh, so we're now you know in this last 10 years it's been a golden age suddenly of ai and siri and alexa and uh, all kinds of other little devices are coming into our lives and we're going to have to start do you Making have those
3: devices in. just a matter of interest do you use those devices i've
0: unplugged uh, alexa <laughs> right echo it keeps butting into our conversations uh, <laughs> this stuff is moving in on us nature published a, a, a big piece um uh, six months ago now a huge uh sample one and a half million people across three areas of the planet united states and europe uh, south america and china and it was for the benefit of thinking about autonomous vehicles that are about to start filling our streets. In an emergency, you've got half, half a second to decide whether to swerve to your right, assuming you're driving on the yeah. left, into the path of a truck and kill yourself or take out some humans on the pavement. Yeah. What do you do? We're on the edge of handing over this moral decision we can't. to a See, machine,
3: but isn't that your po- Isn't that the point? See, that's the going back to my original point. We we're not going to be able to do that. Okay,
0: but what if you have a machine that can do it much better than you? You got half a second. You going, ah, and then it's all over. <laughs> <laughs> it's, whereas the machine can run through a thousand. How do you know the way I drive? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, but let me show you the results of this. Yeah, go on. Because. Uh, in europe and america so the question was one bit of this survey is you know who are the most valuable human beings right across america north america and europe people generally said children okay when you get to china so those are the people you really mustn't kill, yeah. kill yourself swerve into the truck okay in china they said uh, no the most valuable people are old people i'm coming around to this view by the way uh, <laughs> because you've got to respect the elders yeah Children, yeah. Don't worry about children. Actually, you know, what we know about China now, they don't seem to worry about people who aren't in the government or in the party. Yeah. But anyway, so we, we car manufacturers maybe will have to tweak their models for China. Um, yeah, swerve, hit the child, not the uh, oldster. And in the United States. I guess I'm wondering about the sort of public
3: justifiability of this because yeah. when. Um, a self-driving car killed somebody i think yeah. in america yeah, They're, you know we have traffic act, tragic traffic accidents every day where people yeah. get killed this was a huge thing i yeah. mean i think people are going to feel differently about a machine killing somebody than a human killing somebody but
2: what if humans are killing
0: many more people I than know, the machines no, no, no,
2: i take the point
0: yeah so there's an old old guy i mean a chinese valued old guy driving the wrong way down the m4 a few months ago do you remember that uh, in the fast lane I mean, I watched it on a dash cam, um, a car that managed to find just a little space to his right against the crash barrier. And it was a guy in his mid-80s driving a a car, towing a caravan, and he killed three or four people uh, and injured many others. Uh, You could just take a result view on this, that if that was an autonomous vehicle, it would never do that, never do that, never drive down the wrong way and do you take a result view on it? Well, I'm, all I'm saying is this is happening and car manufacturers right. are having to... We, w- So I think this is a civilizational shift where moral decisions are being handed over to machines and we have to be worried about it. So I, that's where I think we will find common ground, you and I. So my novel is really just wanting to yeah. say, you know, there are moral questions here and we've got... We've got to be very careful and thoughtful about it. What about the
3: consequences for sort of humans in another sense, which is that unemployment is high in yeah. your novel mm. um as a result of these uh machines doing this work. When when uh when Charlie's work sort of playing the stock market is taken over by Adam, he feels a sense of sort of ennui and kind of yeah. boredom. Yeah. It's something that the robot notices. Do we do 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 we read an element of
0: pessimism there that you
3: think people are going to feel,
0: you know? No, I t- I take a completely different view, uh, and I I put it all into the mouth of Tony Benn. So when he says in a speech uh, in Travel Trafal- yeah. Square, it's not uh, jobs we have got to defend; it's workers. Yeah. Uh, so he argues as quite for a few. For call- Well, yeah, for, for, that robots must pay taxes, which is really a way of saying. You know, the owners of robots yeah. should pay taxes. And then we'll face the dilemma that faced uh, the British aristocracy for centuries. You know, how to spend the time doing absolutely nothing. Which would be quite nice. And You're they, vain, I, I, I would be uh, very good at that. And they had no yeah. problem at all. Hunting, <laughs> shooting, fishing, yeah. playing the harpsichord, yeah. um, sending each other letters, uh, falling in and out of love. So we could, you know. So that's a positive. That's
3: an upbeat I you.
0: I think we shouldn't be frightened of it. I I think, actually, defining yourself by the work you do is something that many people could be liberated from. But it means a really significant universal wage, and it really means, of course, starting to unpick uh, corporate culture and all the the rest uh, and have all these machines working for all of us. I mean, so, you know, whether you want to spend your life cage-fighting or trout-fishing or or, um, reading novels or whatever or making podcasts...
1: Definitely, uh,
0: we could make more yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's the world is socially so rich in human possibilities that That's if good. people had enough to live on, um, then I think we could really start to. And it would be a very, very slow shift. And I'd probably mean that we'd be one day looking at a, a thirty-hour 30 week and then a fifteen-hour yeah, week, and totally. Uh, and there are some bits that I doubt machines can ever do, and which is probably um, caring. I mean, proper you know, yeah. caring for the old, for example, yeah. uh, might be the, some of the last to go or never to go.
2: Could there be a robot MP for Doncaster North?
0: Well, a robot MP... Watch it, you. I wrote a short story about... Um, written from the point of view of sort of 300 years hence, in which um, it suddenly became... So you go to, a, you know, a booker banquet and you're sitting next to a publisher... There comes a point where it's very rude to say, "Are you real?" You know, it's just non-PC because at once you've accepted that this is a consciousness and it's an absolutely charming guy who's running a really interesting list uh, of uh, fiction, poetry, whatever. To say, "Are you real?" is rather like saying, "I hear you've had a colostomy." <laughs> you know. uh, it's a sort of physically intrusive because. You know, it's a perfectly conscious so, entity. So some people
3: will be real and some people won't, you mean? Yeah, and
0: you won't know. And you won't know whether the last prime minister was real or not or whether the person who won the um, uh, Wimbledon last year was a robot or not.
3: So, if I'm allowed to ask this, have you started writing anything else? Is your next novel on the go?
0: No, um, I, I got caught up writing a screenplay uh, of, of my novel Sweet Tooth. I've been doing that uh and then i've just been on book tour it's very hard when you know you've got to be by a luggage carousel in three days time to sort of really think of anything in a sustained way um yeah and i've just been on tour in the states and um and it's fun actually to ha- have these kinds of conversations yeah. i mean it's really enjoyable and doing it in a room full with a thousand people and, you- and it's like you've become
3: kind of you've you've got, you've got very steeped in it haven't you
0: yeah i get very steeped in these things but fundamentally ed I'm, I'm a kind of dilettante i mean at some point i'll move on to something else and then i'll get letters saying will you come and give a keynote speech to the ai society and i'll say ai <laughs> what's that <laughs> artificial insemination of course <laughs> about which i now know you know lots more uh in
3: uh, machines like me is published by cape thank you so much for joining us
0: it's been a real pleasure
1: Cheerful Book Club is produced by Emma Corsham and Joel Pierce for Cheerful Productions in association with Goldfish London. Support for Cheerful Book Club comes from Vintage. Read boldly, think differently. Follow at Vintage Books for more. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up.